Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast from Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to get into God's Word every single day, so we decided to read through the Bible chronologically and talk about it together. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. Uh, my name is Ryan and I'm here today with Chelsea and we're starting a whole new book today. Uh, we're super excited because we are digging into Job uh, and we do have a confession that we spent most of the weekend reading books about Job. Sure did. It's, it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough. And actually, even even more to confess, we had recorded a whole episode about Job. We did not like it because we did not do service, we thought. And so here's round two. Yeah. So We're going to do much better this time. I mean, maybe. Leave us a, leave a comment and tell us if we did or not. <laughs> Wait, people will know if we did or not because they're not going to listen to the other one. You'll never know what the other one sounded like. <laughs> so I guess you'll just have to leave us great reviews. <laughs> So we are getting into Job, and I um, I think the main thing to consider, uh, especially if you've been tracking with us through Genesis, is that we are moving now to a different type of literature. And so one of the mistakes that we can make when we read the Bible is assume that everything we read in the Bible has the same purpose, because it doesn't. I mean, all Scripture is profitable, and God-breathed, and all those things, so it, it is all valuable, but it's not all supposed to hit us exactly the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does to me. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you could help me out if I didn't explain it very well. Um, yeah, definitely. So we are moving into wisdom literature. So we're going from a narrative piece of literature in Genesis to wisdom literature in Job because we're reading it chronologically. And when we go on to Exodus after Job, it's going to go back to a narrative piece of literature. But we can still ask the same questions just like we did in Genesis. In Genesis, we ask, okay, who is this God? Um, who are the Israelites? And what's happening here? It's not necessarily prescriptive um, if we're asking the right questions. And same thing for Job. It's not prescriptive, but we can ask the right questions as far as who is God because this book of the Bible has a lot to say about who God is. And it's going to teach us a lot, I think. So in the episode that will forever live in the recycling bin of infamy, infamy, <laughs> um, I had talked about, and, and, and this is actually how I viewed Job for a long time, uh, until this weekend, actually, <laughs> was that it's, it's very terrible that Job had this whole family, and they all died. And then at the end, he got this new family, and it's like a happy ever after ending. Right. That's actually completely the wrong way to look at this book. Um, because he's still lost his whole family. Well, I mean, yes, and that, that is... Very sad, obviously, mm-hmm. but that's not what this book is designed to tell us. So when we read Job, and and really, if you don't get anything else, please get this. As we go through Job, the question you want to be asking yourself is, what should I be learning about God? It would be very easy to focus on the pain and the suffering of Job, and it is significant. I mean, it's he went through some very difficult things, mm-hmm. but I do not think that the point of the book is to show us how badly Job suffered. The point of the book is to show us if we can trust a God who had some hand in that suffering. So again, like all scripture is valuable. And what, what actually has me excited today is that what's valuable about Job is that it answers a question that a lot of us still have. So in in the time that this book was written, in the time when people were hearing this for the first time, they wondered, can we trust a God who allows bad things to happen to good people? We still ask that. And actually, we still make the same mistakes that people in those cultures would have made. We still look at bad things that happen, and then we ask people all the time, what did you do that brought this on yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, whether whether we're bold enough to say that out loud. Or we're thinking it to ourselves. Or we're thinking it in our, in our heads. Yeah. We still ask the same questions. That's what's so cool about the Bible, and actually what's so cool about Job. So please remember to ask yourself the whole time, what is this book teaching me specifically about God? Yeah. In this book, can I trust God? Um, and is, is is he just? Like, is he trustworthy? Um, don't be distracted. 
I know it's tempting, but do not be distracted by how badly Job is suffering. Yeah. And when we get to the end where God has his speech, I mean, it's kind of hard not to focus on the character of God and be like, oh my gosh, I have no right to ask any questions. Yeah. (laughs) Now there is one thing that Ryan and I are in a fight about. Oh, we're going to go on the record about this, huh? Yeah, I think so. Oh, geez. Okay, Ryan. What do you think about Job? (laughs) Is he real? (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure that Job was a real historical person. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I am nervous that a lot of you are not going to listen to this anymore because I said that. Um, it does not actually change our theology. Uh, there are there are problems with that point of view. So I, I, I you know I do want to recognize like kind of both sides. Uh, I do think you can learn the same lessons if Job was real, if Job wasn't real. The problem is that Ezekiel at one point refers to Job uh, with Noah and Daniel, who were both 100% real people. Uh So it was probably safe to say that Ezekiel assumed that he was probably real. Also, James says that we could kind of replicate, you know, Job's faithfulness and resiliency. Um, So it's, it's safe to say that James, now when he says it, how does he say it? You you mentioned it earlier. Oh, so James says, you've heard about Job. You've heard about Job. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you, so you could look at that as, you've heard of this story of this character. Kind of like, you've heard about Rapunzel. Chelsea was trying to catch me earlier, and she's like, well, he says, you heard about Job. And I was like, yeah, you heard about Iron Man. Doesn't mean Iron Man's real. Um, um, yeah, you really caught me there. Yeah. Okay, but here's what I think. Yeah. I don't think that Job was written in the moment as it was happening I think it was a real story that happened written about later because, and the reason I think that is because I don't think these three friends and Job sat around quoting poetry to each other all day in the midst of suffering. That feels a little off to me. That actually brings up a really interesting second point. Um, It's fairly well understood that Job is actually two different pieces of literature. You're just shaking your head. You're not saying anything to me. Um, when you say well understood, I'm just like, uh-huh, sure. So like within, within you know, again, like I do want to, I want to present you guys with like the full picture. And yeah. so like, you might think it's real. You might not think it's real. That's okay. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, and that's what's the, Bible the Bible is real. Yes. The Bible is real. The Bible is real. And it's still divinely inspired exactly. scripture. That's the bottom line. That's a non-negotiable. What you want to decide about whether or not Job is real, you can decide for yourself. We present the sides. What do you think? So it does seem like, um, and there's there's some historical things to back this up, that uh, chapters 1, 2, and 42 were one story. And actually, if you take in your spare time and look at Job chapter 1, 2, and 42 and read them without everything in, in the middle, mm-hmm. it actually reads like one story. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take chapters 3 to 41, they actually read entirely differently um, because that's that's when it switches over to poetry. Right. So there is a thought out there that the the story part was written first, and then the poetry is kind of a commentary to help bring a fuller picture of what's being taught in the story. Yeah. So sometimes you might read Job and think, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It could actually be in part sort of because it's actually two books. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Also, the other thing you talked about before we started recording was Satan, the accuser in the introductory part of Job, which we're reading today. Um, Satan doesn't necessarily mean the devil Satan. <laughs> talk this, about talk about the original word. This is another one of those tricky things where you could take some different perspectives away from this. You could look at this and say, this is Satan, and he is roaming about the world. Yeah. That can teach us something about Satan. You could also look at the Hebrew, um, which is like Satan. Uh, which can mean accuser. So you get uh, in the in the first and second chapter kind of this um, cosmic courtroom mm-hmm. where God and his representatives are like in a court kind of conversation with Satan. Yeah. 
But that Satan, that word could actually just mean an accuser. Yeah. So it could be 100% the devil. It could also be somebody who's just coming forward to say, you know what, God, Job is only serving you because he gets cool stuff. Yeah. And if you take away the cool stuff, he's not going to serve you. Yeah. Again, who Satan is is not a salvation issue. It's not. But it is interesting to think about, especially asking, again, the right questions. Satan, his accusation against Job is that Job is only serving God because he gets blessings from God. And as soon as those blessings are taken away, Job will curse God. What's interesting also is that that doesn't happen. When we get to Job's first kind of monologue, he curses himself. He curses the day he was born, but he never curses God. And first of all, Job is like this man of upright, exemplary character. We we are sure of that because of the introduction. We know that Job is this righteous man. There is no reason why he deserves all of the suffering, which brings on the question of why do righteous people, why do good people suffer? Um But to see Job's reaction to that, to see him move first to say, I'm in this deep despair, but I will never, like, turn my back on the faithfulness of God or who I know God is, um, is pretty amazing. It's okay to be in that deep despair. Job is in this um, state of, like, he wishes he was never born. And that is something that a lot of people can relate to. People feel that kind of despair every single day. Is God still trustworthy? That's the question we have to ask. I love that Job gives us a really good picture of um, suffering well. I mean, I, yeah. I, I feel bad for Job. Definitely. He went through some very terrible <laughs> Even things. Even if you stake. Man, why do you guys keep bringing that up? <laughs> um, but it, it is a great picture of suffering with faith. Yeah. Um, because Job has these friends that are like, hey, repent. Hey, like you definitely brought this on yourself. And Job was like, no, I, yeah. I didn't. Um, but I can still be faithful. And some of the things he says are wild. I mean, he is very upset. He is extremely distraught. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I also like that it it gives us this picture of you know it's okay to have extreme emotion when you're suffering. Yeah. And we can we can look to God. We can learn some things about God in this story. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Now I'm really excited about Job. I, I am actually very excited about Job. <laughs> I hope you're excited about Job too. We are trying really hard to to bring like a really good perspective to the Bible. We're trying really hard to give you uh, a valuable tool as yeah. you uh, strive to get to know God better. So as we get into Job, continue to ask yourself, what is Job teaching us about God? Is this a God who can be trusted? Uh, is he is he just? And how can we suffer well? Yeah. And keep listening because we definitely have some guests coming on here that are way smarter than us. Way smarter than us. <laughs> who will be helping us understand Job along the way. So thanks so much for listening today, guys. We really appreciate your support. We appreciate how you're reading through the Bible with us. We hope you're growing in your faith just like we are. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Bye. Job chapter one, starting in verse one. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? the Lord asked Satan. 
Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmland hands. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's homes. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, The Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil, and he has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, Skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Zamathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. At last Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, Let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high. Let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it, and let darkness terrify it. Let that night be blotted off the calendar, never again to be counted among the days of the year. Never again to appear among the months. Let that night be childless. Let it have no joy. Let those who are experts at cursing, whose cursing could rouse Leviathan, curse that day. Let its morning stars remain dark. Let it hope for light, but in vain. May it never see the morning light. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb, for letting 
me to be born to see all this trouble? Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as they came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breasts? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I'd be asleep and at rest. I would rest with the world's kings and prime ministers whose buildings now lie in ruins. I would rest with princes rich in gold whose palaces were filled with silver. Why wasn't I buried like a stillborn child, like a baby who never lives to see the light? For in death the wicked cause no trouble, and the weary are at rest. Even captives are at ease in death, with no guards to curse them. Rich and poor are both there, and the slave is free from his master. Oh, why give light to those in misery, and life to those who are bitter? They long for death, and it won't come. They search for death more eagerly than the hidden treasure. They're filled with joy when they finally die, and rejoice when they find the grave. Why is life given to those with no future? Those God is surrounded with difficulties. I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. Then Eliphaz the Tamanite replied to Job, Will you be patient and let me say a word? For who could keep from speaking out? In the past you have encouraged many people. You have strengthened those who are weak. Your words have supported those who are falling. You encourage those with shaking knees. But now when trouble strikes, you lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you. Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Stop and think. Do the innocent die? When the upright have been destroyed? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. A breath from God destroys them. They vanish in a blast of his anger. The lion roars and the wildcat snarls, but the teeth of the strong lions will be broken. The fierce lion will starve for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness will be scattered. This truth was given to me in secret, as though whispered in my ear. It came to me in a disturbing vision at night, when people are deep in a sleep. Fear gripped me, and my bones trembled. A spirit swept past my face, and my hair stood on end. The spirit stopped, but I couldn't see its shape. There was a form before my eyes. In the silence, I heard a voice say, Can a mortal be innocent before God? Can anyone be pure before the Creator? If God does not trust His own angels and has charged His messengers with foolishness, how much less will He trust people made of clay? They are made of dust, crushed as easily as a moth. They are alive in the morning, but dead by evening, gone forever without a trace. Their tent cords are pulled and the tent collapses and they die in ignorance. Job chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. Is that how you say it? It sounds like I'm about to start like a folk song. <laughs> Got it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Keep that in. 